The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on. And this is Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. Simon Clancy is here. Chris Kaufman is here. And as always, we are brought to you by PrizePix. Use promo code 5FIVE. You deposit $100, you get $100 and a one-time rollover which means it's essentially a free $100. Just do it. Just deposit. You can play the NBA playoffs. It's a lot of fun. They even had props for the draft. I was god-awful on those, although I did hit my Emmanuel Forbes one. Everybody kept thinking that I was crazy for saying that Emmanuel Forbes would go top 20. He did. I did hit that one. So go there. Price picks. Use promo code 5FIVE. $100. You get $100. One-time rollover. Do it. And, of course, betteredge.com go to betteredge.com slash the number five reasons and you get twenty dollars just for signing up i think that's a pretty good deal all you got to do is just sign up and they hand you twenty dollars to bet yeah do it hello simon hello hello alf well uh something happened over the weekend i guess it was the draft right fun oh shit i missed it right i i definitely missed it okay I'll, i'll start here uh, they, uh, they did they did this thing in in Las Vegas last year, and then they do it in Kansas City this year, and they're gonna do it in Detroit next year. Like, um, Beirut's not available. Like, come on, people! I don't think that. Well, I like Detroit. It's quite a good city when I've been to Detroit. Okay, but I, uh, let's talk about Kansas City. Uh, the aesthetics of that draft was wasn't the prettiest thing in the world. No, they've got an amazing bookshop in Kansas City. Like the the the, the parking garage. Is uh-huh. literally floor it is like um the spines of books mm-hmm. and it's massive and the edifice is like literally like all of these books in a row like it's on a bookshelf yeah. that would have looked amazing but they clearly you know you know it's a great idea man just do it in Miami uh on South Beach or you know do it in London like like who cares it's the draft nobody has to play a game or anything people could get on planes you imagine though the massive technical thing of getting everybody out to London. And also, I don't reckon there'd be that many people there. Uh, I mean, there would be a few, but I don't reckon it, you know, like Nashville that week was was amazing. With all those hundreds of thousands of people. They should do it in Green Bay. Because mm-hmm. just literally... Just like yeah, it's, a, it's a, great, a great little football town. You don't think that, uh, like, uh, let's say that they put you in charge. Not that they would, Simon, but Not let's say they mean, put you in so. charge and they tell you, okay, uh, we have this great idea. The owners are down with it. Roger Goodell wants to do it. We're doing the draft in London. 
Where would you do it? How would you pull it off? Can you, you think you could get 50,000 people there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'd probably do it like Trafalgar Square or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. Um, backdrop of the uh, the National Art Gallery, Nelson's Column. It'd look pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. I reckon you'd get 50,000 people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you can sell out Wembley Stadium and, and Tottenham for Wembley for 90,000 in about 20 minutes, then you could definitely sell out people going to the draft. Although day three might be a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would. I, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, but, Kansas City was not looking very good on on day three. <laughs> there's some we'll good cities to do it. There's some good cities to do it in though. It should be in New Orleans. New Orleans is a great city. Oh, awesome! Oh, absolutely. You could, it, you could do it in the French the way that they do it. They did it in Nashville. That would be pretty cool. Not on Bourbon Street though, because that's that's the shithole. But like <laughs> yeah. some of the other some of the other parts of the French Quarter are amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you could do it, and you could you could fit a bunch of people there and like i said miami should get one of these like we have plenty of places to do it i think south beach would be awesome south beach you had that massive boulevard you had the entire beach think about it you could put the stage mm. on the beach like Chicago? Uh, how fun is that Chicago would be great you awesome could yeah. you could do it in the square where the um where the the bean is that uh, yeah, pretty amazing. yeah where was the place where, where obama gave his victory speech yeah, that was the it in the place? park yeah the, uh it well I can't, I can't remember what the park's called, but is it called Battery Park, maybe, or is that in New York? Something like that. Uh, I, there's yeah, some, there. there, there's that, a listener of ours somewhere in Chicago saying, look at these idiots not knowing the name of, of our park. That's where the bean is, though. That, that that leads on to that park. So, yeah. Yeah. No, plenty of places to do it. They're going to do it in Detroit next year. I will not take a plane, although I'm, 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 I'm being invited to go for next year, you know? Detroit for some reason for some reason I imagine Detroit just looks like um one of those cities that you see in like you know very post apocalyptic you know <laughs> setting where all the buildings have been like you know overgrown with with um with vines and growth and stuff <laughs> like that like that's Detroit to me I don't know why but that's that's the that's the city I of liked Detroit. it I liked it when I went there I thought it was pretty nice actually I mean I haven't been in downtown or anything but um, Chris uh, free uh, first class tickets, okay? Because I'm not gonna make you sit in coach because it's uh, from Tampa. I believe it's like what five hours to Detroit. Uh, do I have that right? I think I do. Okay. From Tampa, can't yeah. be five hours. Sure, it must only be about an hour and a half. Nah, what from Tampa to Detroit? No, it's 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 a it's a flight. Man. That's a that's it's a, definitely a flight, but it's not five hours, is it? No, you it, know what? It, it it's got to be. It's got to be like a maybe four and a half at least. From you know Tampa what? I'm to gonna, Detroit. I, I'm gonna book a flight right now on American <laughs> Airlines from. It Tampa can't to be Detroit. four and a half hours. It, I mean, it only takes. It's only five hours to go from LA to Louisiana. Well, you know, there's one way to find out. Okay. There's one way to find out. Flights. Uh, how does Southwest Airlines oh, sound? Two and a, two and a half hours. Yeah, Damn. I was gonna say. <laughs> Five hours. You don't even. I don't even live in the fucking country, and I know how. I know it. What time it takes. Yeah. Well, What's Las Vegas. Drop? Well, Las Vegas well, is four and a half hours. So I'm in Las Vegas. Get, if we're gonna get, a, if we're gonna get a nonstop, which is not gonna be easy, but yeah, then yeah, we can we can do two and a half hours. Oh. Is it Grant Park? Was yeah, it there Grant it is. Park? Yeah, is that it's Grant. Yeah, Grant Park. There it is. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I'm looking at it. Yeah. It's two and a half hours. Which one, which, which one of us three lives in America and which one doesn't? <laughs> That's true. I Simon, I don't live in America. I live in Florida. <laughs> well, that's very true, Christopher. Very true. 
Yeah, we're, we're, we're like our different. I've been planet. to your city, Chris, and I followed that car around with you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is not this to is be fair with the with the time game over here. With the time change, it's six and a, it's six hours and fifty minutes. For what? I could walk to Detroit from Tampa in six hours fifty minutes. <laughs> you two are drunk. Well, I'm talking about the. Remember, they're in Central Time. We we do this weird thing in this country, Simon, where we have different time zones for like Dude, three idiots. parts of the of the country. So, like, if you Even if so. you leave here at six a.m. You know, you're going to arrive there like six, uh, six hours and 50 minutes later if you look at your watch and you adjust it. Even yeah. so. <laughs> well, as we said, the, the draft happened. And then pick 20th of the, the 20th pick of the, uh, well, what am I saying? It's the 51st pick of the entire draft, the 20th pick of the second round. It was Cam Smith. And a lot of people, you know, freaked out. Um to start here, I graded these cornerbacks. I had seven guys that I thought were first-round talents. I had it as Witherspoon, Banks, Porter, Gonzalez, DJ Turner, then Cam Smith, and Forbes. So on my board, on my unofficial board, by the way, on my board, uh, the Detroit Lions are winning the next five Super Bowls, okay? Because they managed to pick every single guy I liked, all right? But on my board, they essentially just passed on DJ Turner, and I'm not going to complain about them passing on my CB5 because they took CB6. I like the player. I like the fit going forward. And if you assume that Nick Needham, and he he is coming off of an Achilles injury, if you assume that he's probably not going to help you this year, Cam Smith will. I like the fit for the team going forward. Your thoughts, Simon? Yeah, I mean... I like, I've always liked the player. I I think he's a really good player. I've always thought he was a good player. I, I've kind of calmed down a little bit from when it happened, just in terms of no uh, no quibble from me whatsoever about the caliber of the player. And I'll get into why in a sec. More about the, the positional, you know, apart from the defensive line, I think the secondary was is the, the most secure, has the, you know, a good amount of players in. But obviously we saw what happened last season in terms of, you know, when players went down, players got hurt. We lost Byron. We lost X for a few games. Trill got injured. Needham got injured. And it became a real mash unit. So, you know, there is certainly a context there that having Cam Smith really helps. And it does. Um, and I think actually he'll play uh, significantly more. I think the argument for me was that, you know, there were greater positions of need. You know, Darnell Washington was on the board. Now Washington obviously falls another 30, 35 picks because of the, the knee injuries the knee issues that kind of raised the head of the combine, uh, but were talked about a little bit last season. Uh, you know, there were offensive linemen potentially on the board and day one Jones, although there were obviously some issues with Jones that made him fall. Jalen Duncan, again, similarly issues. Um, so ultimately, I think, um, you know, really good player. I think maybe a little bit of frustration uh, about the, the, the position, but actually... You know, when they got into the press conference after the after the, the uh, uh, Devon uh, A chain pick, it was clear that um, you know Greer said, and the quote was something like, "You know, you guys worried about tight end and and right tackle a lot more than we are." Mm-hmm. Um, and he said it with a sort of a laugh and a smiley face. So, um, and on the flip side, so yeah, not not to interrupt you, Simon, but on the flip I'm side, sorry. we were uh, way too comfortable with our cornerbacks, considering yeah, that course. Nick Nick Needham was coming off of an Achilles injury. And yeah. the last time that happened, not to bring up old stuff, but the last time that happened 
we had $18 million sitting on our bench an entire season. Yeah. So, so what makes the the important thing for me then is is looking at Smith and and looking at his game and what makes him important, what makes him relevant to this defense, what makes him, you know, not going to be the same, for example, as Nori Benogane, um, who actually had a you know fairly similar athletic profiles. Uh, but I think what you have to do is if you dig into the South Carolina tape and you look at that Clayton White defense, you know that is uh, you know running an awful lot of match concepts. This is a defense that's running that is an NFL defense, really. You know, coverage that mutates on the fly, depending on the concept that's being run by the offense and where the receivers end up um, on the field. And it's extremely difficult to run. It's extremely difficult to play. Uh, and it, it's a lot of, and you, you watch it, and I talked to somebody last night at South Carolina about it, and they were saying, look, it's a lot of sort of nods and winks and head taps and those kind of old Aaron Rodgers tapping himself on the backside to to uh, signify roots and it's those sorts of things uh, and it takes an awful lot of mental and physical ability and, and to me playing cornerback in the NFL is is mostly mental actually you know I think it's so intellectually challenging because mm-hmm. of everything that's going on and I think that's the reason why Noah struggles so much is that it's just too intellectually taxing for him not to say he's thick he's clearly not but it's just one of those things where either you get it or, or you don't and there are so many match coverages being run that it tests in the NFL that it just tests your your mental acumen all the time. But actually, this is where Cam Smith absolutely excels. He is a savant at match coverage, and you only have to watch the tape. He knows where to be when you know he knows where to be when. First of all, he arrives in all the right places at all the right times. He never gives up big plays. He rolls in and out of his breaks like a receiver. He's incredibly patient. Um, and he, you know, even with the, the release action that he's getting, he's very, very patient, and I, I, and that is really important. He gets a bit grabby, I mean, I, and I made that point in in Only Fins, and Chris said, well, you know, actually, the, the modern game is, you know, it's very grabby anyway, and it, and it's true. And it was one of the issues I had with Source Gardner last year. He was very grabby, and Cam gets a bit mm-hmm. grabby, um, but he knows where to find the football, and I think that's why he's going to be a, a high level starter. So I have absolutely no problem with the player. My concern was we still had a massive hole at tight end and right tackle. Um, but you're getting what I would value as a first-round pick with with the mm-hmm. 51st pick in an area where you've got two cornerbacks probably just on the other side of the, the top of the hill uh, in a passing league, in a, in a division where you're playing against Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and, you know, whatever you think of Mac Jones, here come the crazy New England Patriots. You know what I mean? So there are, you know, mm-hmm. having... A, having you can never have too many good cornerbacks, Chris. Can you? I think, and and that's the that's the issue. Absolutely, and th- and going forward, you know, you know, the goal is to defeat Patrick Mahomes, and yeah, possibly absolutely. Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow. It's a bunch of quarterbacks. Like you got to defeat them with, with pass coverage. Uh, Chris Cam Smith. Uh, it, it's sort of a, it. It's sort of to me. It's it highlights. It's it's like um good jamming meets bad gming you know because uh this is where this is where those two kind of collide because taking a cam smith uh ahead of time ahead of when you expect xavier howard is is going to come off the you know the real downslope of his career if he's not already there um even jalen ramsey uh at, at his age being in the league eight years um taking a guy ahead of time like that is is good smart you know, general managing. I mean, that's, that's the way you do it. And, um, and making sure that you, you don't miss a beat. And I think that you 
bring up fair points that we don't know exactly what we can get out of Nick Needham this off season or, or sorry, this, uh, the season um, based on the injury that he's coming off of. But we also do know that we have a top three with uh, Jalen Ramsey, Xavier Howard and Taylor Coho that we can feel extremely confident in. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of those three, if those three were to stay healthy, then tally up the snaps that Cam Smith gets in his rookie year. And you may very well be looking at another situation, which we just came off of, which was where where Channing Tindall never played, Eric Ezekonman never played, um, and and it's exactly what Simon said not to do heading into this uh, into this day two, which is uh, get guys that aren't going to play. Um, and so I think that uh, this is Cam Smith in many ways. You say that's smart general managing planning planning ahead. But it collides with bad general managing because uh, heading into this draft, we had glaring weaknesses uh, heading into it. Glaring needs. Things that are just irresponsible to ignore. And um, and so where I see that press conference and I see, you know, Chris Greer give a laugh and a giggle when um, when he says that uh, you guys think think there's you know, more issue at, at offensive line and tight end than we do. I hope he'll be laughing when he gets fired because, um, because that is, he has put himself in a situation to possibly reap what he sows. If we're sitting at the end of next season with this great roster and all these high expectations and we go nowhere because Teron Armstead gets predictably injured for a very large portion of the season, as as we've all been saying. You know, he does pretty much every year. If uh, Austin Jackson is the slapdick that we know he is, um, if <laughs> Liam Eikenberg, if Liam Eikenberg is the left guard for the for the entire year, or there's Austin, some sort of... Austin, Austin, let me, let me apologize for my from my co-host. No, no, if I'm not apologizing. If you're listening that. to um, this show, we love you, buddy. Okay, your man, I'll be, I'll no, be we don't, we don't, we don't love him either. Um, I'll see you your working man, out. Your man is great. collecting quite a bit of money to play a game poorly, and <laughs> and please, please give me that opportunity to play the game poorly. Uh, and collect that much money for it. I would appreciate that. Um, so no, I think that uh, I think that if if we fast forward to the end of the next year and we've got this situation where you know Austin Jackson played how we all thought he was going to play, and uh, Liam Eikenberg played how we all think he's probably going to play, um, and Teron Armstead does what we all think he probably is going to do, which is get hurt. Uh, and then to a tongue of Aloha, who is an injury prone quarterback. I don't think there's any denying reality there. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's sitting behind this offensive line and he's taking more injuries and not healthy and not able to win us games and we're not in the playoffs or, you know, we're at early exit in the playoffs and all these, these high expectations just come crashing down, then we're going to look back at this and we're going to say, you really entered the year you really entered the year with that situation the way it was and and giggled at us and said, well, y'all are more worried about it than we are. You know, like, I, I think that there's there's some, there's it's very Pollyanna-ish, you know? And, and, um, and I think that, uh, I think that there could be uh, consequences if it goes a certain way. Now, hopefully, season will not go that way. Uh, the season, you know, we get rid of the ball fast. We get it in the hands of these speedy playmakers. 
Um, Tua never has to hold the ball longer than two seconds, you know, all, all that kind of thing. Our defense um, never allows a point. Well, right. You know, hopefully, hopefully it, it all goes the way that it could go. Um, and, and it very much could go that way. Uh, but if it doesn't, but if it doesn't, then there will be hard questions to be answered. And I'm not sure that they're really prepared to answer them. So, um, so I think that, yes, it was a good general manager move, um, you know, just taking in isolation. You say Cam Smith, that's a good player. I, I agree with you guys that he's a strong player. He's lengthy. He's fast. He's, he's very athletic. He's very instinctive and, um, and plays smart football. But um, but it was a good, you know, move met upon um, a series of missteps leading up to it that makes it all the more questionable. So so that's how I view it. Um, you know, like I said, in isolation, I think it's a, I think it's a fair move. It's a good move. I think that what they did in the, in the third round, it probably we'll talk about was um, was more you know, it, it hit on some things for us a little bit better. Uh, and and I guess we'll get into that. Yeah, and with the 84th pick, and I think we'll move off of Cam Smith here, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about him because he'll be on the field in about, I'm guessing, two weeks? Yeah, is that, do I have that right? I think I'm looking at my schedule. Yes, he'll be on the field in two weeks. So I got to see him in action in about two weeks on our practice field against other rookies, but We'll get to see him. Round three, the 21st pick of the third round, and the 84th pick overall, Devin Aching. And I think this is a consequential pick because I think it, it it helps the two best players on the offense besides our quarterback. But Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, if Devin Aching can't hold linebackers on play action, I don't know who can. And in a pass pattern, he can't have he won't have linebackers cheating toward the hash to try to take away our digs from Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So I think that this draft pick, I think it's a home run in two senses. First of all, he's a good player. Second of all, I think he helps your two best playmakers on offense immensely. So I love the pick. Uh your thoughts, Simon? Yeah, I mean, uh, we liked him beforehand. Um, we, you know, we talked about Cam Smith and Miami's interest in Cam Smith. We talked about it on Only Fins, uh, six weeks ago, and we were uh, all through the week and certainly the last seventy-two hours up to the draft. We were talking about how um, a chain would, you know, there was a lot of interest. It was the name we kept kept hearing. Uh, I think Joe Shad actually spoke to him, and I think his name is pronounced Devon R Chain, so A A H H Chain, so R Chain. Um, but yeah, he's an electric playmaker, uh, and you know, you can do so many things with him. You can line him up one back, two back. Uh, he's run short yardage, he, he runs routes as a slot receiver. You can get him, you know, in jet motion and give him the ball. He's got legit 4 2 speed. Um, he's tough, he's thick. People talk about he's 188 pounds, which he is. He runs much bigger than that, and he is thick below the waist. He has got a really big bubble, big thighs. He's powerful, he doesn't go down on contact. Uh, certainly not first contact anyway. Um, he fights for extra yardage. He falls forwards. He's got good hands. Um, I watched. I actually watched five games of his today because I was just looking for some evidence of his pass blocking skill. Um, and he was that offense. 
You know, I mean, they've got Ania Smith, who will come out next year. He's a good player, kind of a, he wears number zero and plays receiver, some running back, whatever. He's a good player. But A-Chain, R-Chain is that offense. You know, he was everything that was good about that offense came from him. The offensive line wasn't great, especially after Kenyon Green was, was drafted last year. But he is just consistent. He just churns out big chunk after big chunk. Uh, and in terms of his pass protection, he he understands what to do. Uh, I'm not saying he's Clinton Portis, but he understands what to do. He's got good eyes. He can see blitzes coming. Uh, he's very much a cut blocker and a very good cut blocker, actually, because he leaves it quite late. He doesn't telegraph exactly what he's going to do. I haven't yet in the five games uh, subsequent to him being drafted seen him literally sink his hips and stand somebody up. Um and that will obviously be a work in progress, but it's not like he doesn't have it in his locker, I don't think. Um, but just an impressive player and somebody that just adds to the the track team element of this offense. And, you know, you've most, I mean, McDaniel must be, I mean, you could tell how enthused he was. You could also see how pissed off he was, couldn't you, Chris, when, um, <laughs> when the Cam Smith pick happened because he thought he was going to miss out on our chain and, and then saw how celebratory he was when we did draft him. He must be absolutely rubbing his hands together with glee, thinking of the ways that he can, you know, get him on the field, you get him lined up in the slot with Tyreek and Jalen and, and most in the backfield and, you know, this Higgins kid and, you know, there's some serious, serious juice on this offense now and our chain is a really, really good player. Chris? Yeah, I think that um, this is this is where they actually started to address, you know, some of the problems uh, on offense. And I know that, uh, you know, I, I've been very adamant about getting offensive line help, but I think that there's you know, more than one way to skin the cat as far as um, as far as trying to get some relief uh, on offense for some of the things that we're talking about with uh, players unable to pass protect very well. Uh, and I think that Achain does that. You know, I think that a, a game, it's one thing to have a running game and and therefore get your um, your your linebackers uh, thinking about it on play action and and your defensive ends thinking about it. It's another thing to get the running back, to get the, the run game starring guys that are, you know, as speedy as going back to the days of CJ2K, you know, like uh, with the, with the Tennessee Titans, who, by the way, wasn't that, you know, his dimensions were not significantly different than uh, Devon Achain. Um, he was, you know, a slight bit taller and, um, and, and maybe, maybe less than 10 pounds heavier. Um, when he came out, uh, it's it's not all that different for people that are worried. That I, I saw some things going around about, you know, there's there's just no history of a guy like De and Devin Achain having success in the NFL, which of course is like, you know, work done says hello. Charlie Garner says hello. You know, the, the there's there are actually a lot of players. Uh, yeah, and Charlie Garner did it running a four six at the combine. So yeah, I mean, and and Napoleon Kaufman and uh -huh. you know, Javid Best, Javid Best. Yeah, we we go we go back and and we got we've got guys um who have an obviously Darren Sproles uh, Brian Westbrook frankly wasn't very much bigger than um than than what you're seeing with uh Devon and Achain. but anyway i mean you're you're going back and um and you're seeing the impact that he can have because of his speed uh and the impact that you know, obviously Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle can have because of their speed and Raheem Mostert because of his speed. I think it just adds a different element because 
it's not there's been a lot of studies about like oh running effectively during the game does not increase your your play action performance right that's that's the um that's a lot of you know stat analytic geeks Mm. will um we'll all go to that and and we'll run this study and that there's a lot of intra game stuff and um and i think that where that actually has an effect is you don't win it on the field on Sunday and therefore you start to hit play action passes because of that. I think you win it in the in the film room the week of, you know, the week before the game. Uh, that's that's where you really win with that stuff. And mm-hmm. when you see the game breaking ability and the speed of Raheem Mostert and now Devon Achain, uh, and then add that on top of what what Miami can do at wide receiver I think they win in the film room the week of the game you know they 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 scare the defenses the way that the ways that they need to be scared that will actually uh alleviate some of the pressure onto a tongue of Aloha if you can do it right now but the question is can they actually do it right you know can they because we we have seen all this year or we complained about it several times um where it seemed like Mike McDaniel just keep can- kept candy dishing the passing game. Hmm. And um, and if you're going to go ahead and you're going to get Raheem Mostert back, you're going to get Jeff Wilson back, you're going to get Devon Achain um, in the third round uh, after convincing, I'm sure Mike McDaniel needed a whole lot of convincing that the third round is, is, is a good spot for him because you could tell how pissed off he was when they didn't take him in the second round. Um, I think that uh, you have to execute that. You have to actually show some commitment to the ground game at some point through the year, or else the uh, you're not, you're not going to win in the film room the way that you could. Um, so we'll see how they execute on this. But otherwise, it is a high impact pick for the offense, and it does kind of indirectly affect some of the worst. Um, worst areas of that offense, the most concerning areas of that offense. So good, excellent pick for them. Um, you know, could they have done better with the two picks? You know, we'll, we'll go back and forth, I, I guess. You know, that's sort of Monday morning quarterbacking. To me, taking Cam Smith with uh, John Michael Schmidt still on the board is still just like, you know, mind explosion. Um but, you know, I think that uh, I think overall that was a nice that was a really nice pick. I'd give that one an A all day. You know, I'm I'm, I'm good with it. Absolutely. And and like I said earlier on, on Twitter, uh, I said this yesterday, if he gets 12 snaps per game, it'll be some of the most consequential 12 snaps per game that any rookie will get in the third round. Uh, watching him on, on choice routes, because evidently they changed the name of the option route now, because that's what happens in football, uh, especially for analysts and coaches, especially with coaches, because they love to hear themselves talk and they got to they got to what is that you say, Chris, that they got to they got to sound like if they have the nuclear codes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they got they're putting men on they're putting men on the moon. Exactly. So what used to be an option route is now called a choice route. So if it's a choice route, Devon chain in a choice route and the defense is in zone, it's going to hold linebackers. It's going to open up space space for Tua and Waddle and Tyreek Hill, and all of those things are good things. And you get the added bonus that Devon A-Chain, or yeah, it's A-Chain. Devon A-Chain is a spectacular kick returner. 
you get that added bonus for a third round pick. All right, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we'll talk Elijah Higgins, Ryan Hayes. Who? Yeah, Ryan Hayes. But first, these words. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Do you have a water leak and can't find where it's coming from? Are you dealing with water or mold damage in your home or business? Then call Water Cleanup of Florida at 954-579-0356 for immediate assistance. With over 60 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, and their team is prepared to handle all types of leak detection issues 24 hours a day 365 days a year after the leak has been located and repaired water cleanup of florida will then clean dry and fully restore the damaged areas water cleanup of florida is fully licensed insured and certified to provide the one-stop shopping that busy homeowners and business owners require there is no need to bring in other contractors they will handle the entire project from start to finish service areas include miami broward and palm beach counties Call Michael anytime on his personal cell phone at 954-579-0356. That's 954-579-0356. Or visit their website at wcufl.com. Water cleanup of Florida. If you have the schmutz, they have the guts. I'm Jalen Phillips, and you're listening to 3 Yards Per Carry. And we're back. There was a huge lull, and, you know... They finished with their pick, 84th overall, and they had to wait to 197. And some people were speculating, maybe this is where Cedric Wilson gets traded and they add a pick. That didn't happen. But before we move on to Elijah Higgins, uh, I know that our listeners, because we saw it. We saw it on OnlyFans. We saw it on Twitter. Everybody up and down. Darnell Washington. My God. Um, We have it on pretty strong information that the Miami Dolphins essentially did pass on Darnell Washington twice because they didn't have the medical concerns. I think you could speak about that a little bit, Chris, uh, briefly, and then we could just talk about Darnell Washington for 60 seconds to lay that to bed, because most of our listeners, if we had to put out a poll and on Twitter or on OnlyFans or anywhere, that was their preferred choice, and the Dolphins did pass on him twice. Uh, I guess you could speak on that a little bit, Chris. Well, I think that it's important to um, to note as you said, that the Dolphins, I mean, there there are other guys that we we talk about, like uh, Taiji Spears, the running back who has 
apparently no ACL mm-hmm. um, in one of his knees. You know, I'm not sure if the Dolphins were ever going to take that guy, uh, you know, anywhere. Whereas Darno Washington, I, I don't think they have the same concerns. Um, so, you know, he was on the board. Uh, did they take him when, instead of uh, Devon Achain? Uh, no, they didn't. Um, to me, if you're going to take a non-offensive line uh, impact player uh, between Washington and Achain, I you know you might as to me it's almost a flip a coin situation. I think they both could have impacted our offense uh, you know in, in different ways, but they both would have had impact. Uh, so, you know, they chose the speed in keeping with basically, um, you know, sort of the almost spiritual beliefs of Mike McDaniel that he illustrated that, um, that the way to get the most out of, out of Tua Tungvaloa at quarterback is to just keep surrounding him with playmakers. Uh, and that's what you do. And, and he thinks that the opportunity is, um, is great is immense if if you're able to do that with him because of the style the particular style of quarterback that he is and his skill set so they chose uh Achain instead of uh washington and you know they, they weren't ever going to really have another crack at washington because they weren't picking again for you know another 100 and you know, 113 picks or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they, you know, they, they did pass on him and, um, and that's, uh, and we saw him go uh, somewhere else uh, accordingly. Uh, Simon, uh, let's lay Darnell Washington to bed. He's a Steeler now, so we'll get to see him. I think it's a really nice fit, by the way, with the Steelers. Pat Fryermuth can be the move tight end. Yeah, he's a fabulous tight end, by the way. I, I, I love watching him play. I think he's a good player. I think Darnell Washington's a perfect fit. In Pittsburgh, uh, Sammy, you could lay that to bed, and then we could get going on Elijah Higgins. Yeah, very Pittsburgh player. I wish him all the best. That the knees were, Ian Rappaport reported it. The knees were an issue. I talked about it on the podcast. Talked about it on social media. Uh, good player. Fingers crossed, he has a really good career and doesn't come back to haunt us. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing much else to say. All right, so we're moving on. Round six, the 20th pick in, in the sixth round, which is 197 overall. Uh, when you get to the to the sixth round, you know, and you see people on Twitter saying, oh, my God, they took another project. Yeah, well, it's the sixth round, buddy. <laughs> you know, don't get too excited. But this was kind of exciting. Uh, Elijah Higgins has a spectacular athletic profile. All right. And evidently, they're moving him to tight end immediately. So, Simon, I guess, get started on Elijah Higgins. Yeah, I think it's indicative of of the sorts of things that Mike McDaniel likes. And obviously these things will play out more as we move forward. But, you know, you look at somebody else who obviously Debo Samuel is the is the kind of the the barometer in many ways. But you look at somebody like Puka Nakua, the 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 receiver in this draft, who does a lot of things that aren't just what a wide receiver does. And it, he, you know, he runs the ball out of the backfield, he lines up all over the formation. And and I think Mike McDaniel is very much that sort of mad scientist who wants to find players that can do lots of different things from lots of different alignments in lots of different offensive mm-hmm. lineups, whether that's 12, 21, whatever the personnel groupings are. Um, and I think Elijah Higgins is perfect. And I think actually if this had been three years 
on and and McDaniel had followed the same routine in terms of drafting these sorts of players, I think we'd have identified Elijah Higgins and just said, look, this is this guy's absolutely stone cold perfect for him. Um, you know, military family, dad was in the Air Force, four-star recruit, incredibly highly recruited, you know, turned down Florida and Auburn and Alabama and Ohio State and Old Miss. And, you know, I think he was I think he was uh Stanford's highest recruit in in twenty nineteen. Um and I saw I saw a picture of him on Instagram yesterday with his with his shirt off, and th- I mean he is absolutely he's got an NFL body. I mean straight off the bat, he is uh, you know you put on tape he is athletic. He's very much a height weight speed kind of guy. He has a he could be a serious matchup problem for teams uh, all over the field actually. You know and and I think that McDaniel will use him as a kind of a hybrid, a sort of a move tight end or a big slot. I think you can line him up all over. I mean, he played mainly out of the slot for for Stanford, but he certainly played outside. Um, I think he does a really good job in uh, watching him today. He understands spacing. I think he does a really good job of finding the dead area in zone. Uh, I think he understands coverages really well. Um, I think, obviously, one of the most important, if not the most important thing, is that his yak skills are, are excellent. He's very good at... At making people miss after the catch. Um, now, in terms of blocking, you don't really see much, too much inline blocking. What you do see is him blocking as a as a receiver, which is obviously what we we would lack from last year with Trent Sherfield having gone. But he does an awful lot of that. I think the thing that I would be concerned about is drops. I think he has more drops than touchdowns. Um, by the last two seasons, that would be a concern. And I don't necessarily think he always played up to that athletic ability. Um, but I think that if the Dolphins and McDaniel can just find a, because this is what he was trying to do with Tanner Connor. Um, you know, you're trying to find matchups for a guy who's six foot three, he's 235 pounds, he runs a four five, uh, he's a baby, still only 22. Um, you know, I think he could be a really, I think it was a really good pick, a really interesting pick, a really interesting player who could, who could, um, really have an impact actually. And, um, you know, you get him matched up on on safety, backup safeties, and nickel corners, and he can just use that athletic ability to to win in, in all sorts of different ways. Absolutely, Chris. This is one of the knock on effects of having such a strong tight end class uh, this year. I mean, because we could talk about the guys at the top, the you know whether we wanted the Dolphins to take Darnell Washington, Sam Laporta, or. Um, or Tucker Craft, somebody like that, you know, one of the tight ends that you could do at the top. But, you know, one of the other effects of this tight end class being so strong is you've got guys slipping through the cracks who are going to be pretty good NFL players. And I think that, you know, I've talked about um, Cameron Latu of uh, Alabama. I think he was picked up um, by the San Francisco 49ers. Braden Willis of Oklahoma, uh, coincidentally, also picked up by the San Francisco 49ers who picked up both of those guys. Um, you know, the, there, there's guys that are going to, that you're going to forget about, I guess, lose, lose sight. The NFL are going to lose track of them, lose sight of them through the, through the, the weekend. And they're going to go low. They're going to be, um, you know, acquirable and yet they're going to be good players. And I think that Elijah uh, Higgins pretty much is, is front and center for exactly that. You know, here's a guy that runs probably about a four five zero, um, and he did it at two hundred thirty nine pounds. Uh, he played at two thirty five, but he says um, I've heard him say that you know he actually 
he actually has to cut down to that weight. Like, you know, he's one of those guys. He doesn't have to like, he doesn't have to like build himself up to get to 235. He actually has to cut down to 235. He probably would like to be in the 240s. Um, and I think that, uh, so, so you have that and, and just that height, weight, speed profile of his is tremendous right off the bat. But then you take into account, you know, watch him interviewed and look at his background and, you know, he played at Stanford. He is a very smart guy. Uh, and, you know, obviously Mike McDaniel in this offense, he wants smart players because, uh, they ask a lot of them, um, intellectually. And I think that that's why, you didn't see, for example, uh, a rookie Eric Ezekanla making a whole lot of impact because he just had a long way to go. It's not any offense to him. It's just that this is this is a complicated offense, and they ask a lot of these guys um, from a from a football IQ standpoint. Uh, he's got that going for him. Uh, and then, oh, also, you know, he broke seventeen tackles as a senior or uh, in this last year after the catch, uh, which is just you know, almost, almost kind of mind blowing, you know, he averaged o- over seven yards uh, after the catch uh, per reception, which puts him right in this kind of superlative run after catch area that it, it appears that Mike McDaniel is steering toward when it comes to his skill position guys. If you think about Eric as what he was a year ago, he was a tackle breaking machine for a receiver, uh, hard as hell to get him down after the catch and he averaged a really high uh, yards after catch well you know here we got another guy except he plays a slightly different position and they're going to play him at tight end he's uh, everything that we said about essentially jonathan mingo mm-hmm. you can just insert his name you know and, and it's it's the same thing he played a little bit in line at stanford not as much as mingo did at ole miss but um, you know, that he is going to convert to that tight end position. So he's a smart dude, hella athletic. Um, he is not a linear athlete. You know, he's not like a Mike, a Mike Gesicki, uh, in terms of his athletic profile or, uh, another guy who got popular with, um, with the analytics, uh, people and, you know, people who pay attention to tests and whatnot. Uh, Zach Kuntz of, um, of old dominion, mm-hmm. uh, those guys are linear, very linear athletes. They're, they're sort of long striders. Well, hell uh, at that, you know, Darnell Washington is, is linear, um, in that way. He's a, he's a long strider. Um, this isn't one of those guys like that. He played the slot, you know, he was the slot receiver. So if you think about kind of the, um, the, the maneuverability that you have to have as a slot receiver, um, this is, this is him. He, he reminds me of probably like a Quincy Anunwa. Uh, who played for the Jets um, for a while as sort of a uh, a hybrid tight end wide receiver. Mike McDaniel brought up another guy uh, that I'd forgotten about um, who was a big favorite of mine in college coming out as a wide receiver, Niles Paul, you know, formerly in Nebraska. Yeah, good player. And um, also and he, a Washington. He came out, he converted, he converted to tight end. For, yeah, a Washington, for football, a Washington football team player. And I hate to interrupt you again, but uh, Lance Zerline had a comp with Jordan Reed, which got me all excited. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you could, your thoughts on if he's Jordan Reed, my God, like, wow. 
but yeah, well, I mean, you know, he's comp. similar sized, and yes. and Jordan Reed was a good after catch guy. I mean, he was just very mm-hmm. he, he was he he had a lot of um, agility and ability to uh, to juke people, break tackles, um, things like that. And I think that um, I think that that's that's where they share in common. I wouldn't exactly call him an explosive player. Mm. um when i'm when i'm watching him you know elijah higgins um but you know he does have he does have a lot of that um, maneuverability and and speed um and he he knows what he's doing catching the ball the one thing is i don't i can't sit here and claim i'd have any clue what he's going to be like as a blocker because i don't um and you know yes yeah we've seen him block a little bit as a slot receiver but you know frankly when i'm scouring through the tape of stanford tape i see other receivers on the outside being asked to do more than he does he is sometimes you know um as far as being a blocker so uh, so i have no idea what he's going to do that way but from his interviews it sounds like he knows and is very keenly aware um as i said he's a smart dude uh that this is that this is a, a key area for him. So um, I do trust him to apply himself, and he's built right for it. Which I think uh, I'm I'm I, I get pretty big sometimes on these draft prospects and the way that they're physically structured um, and and what they're built to be able to do. And I do like the way he is built for blocking. Uh, some other guys you can't say that about. Um, so you know I think this is just in. In reality, this is probably just uh, Chris Greer has done a decent job with those fifth, sixth round pick type of players. And um, this seems like it's going to be another one, you know, seems like another one that's going to contribute. And uh, and that's pretty cool. All right. And moving on, it was the 238th pick. And I didn't do too much work on on this guy. And I was actually shocked that this guy played 30 games at Michigan. And I didn't see him play too much, which, you know, I guess he he didn't make a big impression. Although he had great numbers his last season, did not allow a sack. And subsequently, I've been watching a little bit of him. And evidently, you know, he has some run blocking chops. And I think there's a look to him as a guard in this type of system at the next level. Simon, your thoughts on Ryan Hayes, offensive tackle of Michigan. Although I think we, we can all agree. He's going to be a guard at the next level. Yeah, I think he's likely to be a guard. Um, I didn't think he was amazing at the senior bowl. I thought there was he had some trouble with speed. He had some trouble. He got some guys, um, put him on roller skates, put him on his ass. But I think actually what he did do at the senior bowl and what he does, what he shows up on tape, is that he is a very good uh, technician in the run game. He's very heavy-handed. I think he really understands angles. He can move pretty well, but he does a great job bringing his hips through contact, turning his hips, getting people moved off the ball. Uh, so I think actually, you know, that is an area that you're really going to, you know, look to see him uh, to see him work in. Um, I think he probably needs a bit more core strength, a bit more sort of play strength. I don't think you want him... Um, you don't want him on an island. I think he tends to sort of lunge a little bit. He gets a bit out over his skis in terms of uh, in terms of his pass protection. His leverage can be a little bit inconsistent, I think. Um, but look, he was a two-year starter for the Michigan Wolverines. You know, he's not, you know, he wasn't playing at the FCS level. He wasn't playing for a for a um a group of five school. This was, you know, this was a guy that was playing in national championship semifinals and uh, and those sorts of things. I think he's got controlled hands. I think he's got powerful hands. Um, 
And I thought he did. You go back and look at some of Blake Corum's best runs, and there's there, there's Hayes sealing the edge and you know leading the way. Uh, he's a good combo blocker. I thought um, good size. He's six foot six. Uh, he's just under three hundred pounds. We measured him just under three hundred pounds. He's obviously got short arms, uh, but again, four star recruit. Turned down Notre Dame. Turned down Michigan State. Um, and like I said, two year starter at, at left tackle, which um, you know, and it's the seventh round. You know, and I think they found somebody in the seventh round who could potentially be a bit of a project working inside a guard. And, and and whatever you think of the the starting five, and there are definitely two holes on that that line in terms of the starting five. But I also think mm-hmm. there are some serious question marks about what happens if people get hurt. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you know, in the seventh round, you're trying to find a guy that you know, if he comes in and starts and turns into a, a stud, amazing. But realistically, is that going to happen? Probably not. So what are you looking for? You're looking for a guy that you can rely on not to shit himself if he's forced into action. And I think if you can find a guy like that, and we'll talk about it on the next show in terms of a couple of undrafted free agents, who I think we all quite like uh, and might not be people that soil themselves if they get thrown into the action. That's what you're trying to, to get hold of in these late day three picks is a guy that can come in maybe be a swing tackle or maybe work inside as a as a guard or as a backup guard. Uh, and, you know, if he's forced into action, it, you know, he, he, he performs at a level that makes you think, okay, we're, we're okay. We're okay for a couple of weeks until Rob Hunt gets back or whoever it is comes back and, you know, let, let's let's ride with this guy. And, and, you know, that's what you're hoping that Hayes is. All right, Chris. Ryan Hayes. I think that um, you want to give this pick an A – Plus, in as much just for the simple fact that, you know, two years ago, uh, this year they got in the seventh round a guy that two years ago they actually traded up for to get in the second round. (laughs) You know, Um, I think that uh, Ryan Hayes's uh, dimensions are almost exactly um, exact to Liam Eikenberg. Uh, It's actually kind of eerie. and of course, and their you know, stats from their their last year are identical as well. The, the same, I, yep. the same tweet that goes out did not allow a sack. Yeah, exactly, exactly right, exactly right. I think huh? that you know Notre Dame and Michigan too. <laughs> like, I mean, it's kind of um, so. I, I think that uh, I think that Ryan Hayes. You know, do I in the end at the end of the day do I think that Ryan Hayes is going to end up starting in the NFL um, and and making a big impact and being a good player? Probably not. And the reason I say that is because, if anything, the things that disturb me about him are that he is a good tackle. Like, he is, he was a good tackle at Michigan. And he's built like a tackle to me. He, he plays like a tackle. Uh, he's, he's, he's structured like a tackle. Um, and so, because of that, I'm actually a little bit, concerned about moving him inside um and moving him into the the guard position where things happen faster um and the players are much bigger and stronger uh i wonder you know you are you moving him in because he was an insufficient a a deficient tackle or are you moving him in because you think that his skill set is particularly well suited you know to guard in a positive way i'm almost kind of more on that negative side with him which is that you're moving him inside because you know he ain't good enough to play here um so so it's kind of like a last ditch effort to make him a good nfl player um i think that but i think that he is he is sound when you watch him play and the other thing i think is 
it, I hate the helmet scout, but it just seems like these Michigan offensive linemen keep turning up as starters in the NFL that like they turn up like a bad penny. You know, they like they're they're all over the place. These guys that you just wouldn't have rated all that high, um, and yet they play in the NFL. And so, you know, on that basis, I, I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious about his coaching, what they think about that. Um, and maybe that's part of the attraction uh, for them. Um, but overall, do I think that he has the chops to be a tackle in the NFL? No, I don't think he has the frame for it. I think that a lot of the concerns that we saw in college are going to just get even worse uh, in the NFL if he tries to play tackle. And on the other hand, you know, uh, the flip side of that is if you switch him inside to guard, I'm I am genuinely uh, not certain at all what kind of player you're going to get when you move him inside. Because we, you know, you would have thought that you got a pretty good guard out of Liam Eikenberg. Everybody mm-hmm. would have thought that. Yeah, and it's not the case. You know, so um, and so I'm I'm not using Liam Eikenberg to make me scared of basically every other tackle, but some of the things that applied to Liam Eikenberg also apply to Ryan Hayes. And I think he actually makes an interesting compare contrast. You know, we're going to talk about the undrafted free agents in a future episode, but there's a guy that's an undrafted free agent that kind of, you know, I, I, I do the compare contrast and it's, and it's interesting. It's an interesting exercise. So I'll be interested to see how it plays out. Uh, name is, uh, give us his name so we could tease our next episode. Oh, well, the guy that I'm thinking of is Jarrett Horst, uh, who who is Michigan State, Michigan State as, as opposed to Michigan. You know, compare and contrast the the tackle we got from Michigan with the tackle we got from Michigan State. Um, you know, I think that uh, I think that he is interesting. I think he's a brutal, nasty player, uh, and he also has the frame deficiencies and all the same reasons that you would want to move you know, so-and-so inside to guard because they just, they're not lengthy enough to move and play a tackle. I think he has that too, but I think that he is a bit more um, brutal and strong, uh, you know, when it comes to the inside game. And, um, and that's what I question about Ryan Hayes, but they'll be, they'll be fun to watch. So we'll see. All right. And we're going to call it right there. And the next time you hear from us, we'll talk about all the undrafted free agents, which, uh, I think the Dolphins have signed about 876 of them already. I think they signed them all. I think they have them all. So they have the entire pool to choose from for the bottom of the roster. Uh, uh, Simon, off the top of your head, has anybody come close to the sheer number of UDFAs that Miami has signed? Uh, I mean, I haven't paid a massively close attention to it, but it does seem like we inked about 18, 19, 20 players yesterday. So. It was a pretty rapid, um, and, and and actually, you know, a, a lot of sort of really small, you go back and look at guys like Chris Coleman and um, players like that, kind of slightly off the radar guys or guys that have, you know, been about a couple of different stops. Paul was at, um, Coleman was at Fresno State. And then, um, but some interesting guys, Chris just mentioned one, the, the linebackers are interesting, the, the uh, Vandenberg is an interesting guy, Aubrey Miller is an interesting guy. I was watching a lot of Brandon Peely this afternoon or Pilly this afternoon. Uh, the running back Chris Brooks is an interesting character. I, I'm very intrigued by this tight end Julian Hill. Um, so yeah, there's a the, there's a lot of interesting players there. All right, and we'll talk about it all next week. We'll talk about them all next week. But that's it. There is no more. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes on Podbean 
or your usual podcast provider. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.